0: Our dearest Lord God, you are our great teacher, and so we ask that we would, by your grace, be your students. Speak to us, open our hearts, open our minds, and give us your joy in Jesus name. Amen. Good morning. Life's not fair. That has got to be one of the best parenting phrases uh, that there is, right? I mean, like when I order pizza and the pizza has eight slices, I got three kids. One of those kids is not getting that third slice. It's just the way the math works out. And inevitably, the third kid is going to say, that's not fair. And I can just shrug and say, life's not fair. I mean, I actually get to spin a life lesson from my irresponsibility and lack of planning it's great it's great life's not fair it's true actually that life's not fair and and there are times where i have said it with a little more compassion than over a third slice of pizza because we want to teach our kids to handle life's disappointments because that's the truth right life is not fair and yet that truth doesn't go down quite so easy when life's not fair to me you know when we feel like we've gotten some sort of raw deal when, we, when the air handler goes out in the same week as the transmission when someone else takes credit for the hard work that we have done we don't want our spouse shrugging and saying well life's just not fair right thanks a lot honey we want fairness we want somebody to do something about it but often they can't, or they won't, or there's just nothing left to be done but to pay the bill because life's not fair. It's not fair, and it feels bad when it's not fair, except when it's not fair in our favor, right? Now, this might sound a little nerdy, but uh, this summer I was in Oxford, England. I was seeing all the sights. part of my sabbatical And I was visiting with uh, one of my professors from seminary. I didn't. He's now in Oxford. I didn't go to Oxford, which may be obvious. But um, I. So I was visiting with him, and and he said, actually, this week is this is like our summer school, and there's these amazing lectures, Uh, and and so I got to attend uh, some lectures by. Big-time theologians, uh, N.T. Wright and Malcolm Guite, they b- b- both have books on my bookshelf right now, and the other people who were there uh, attended, uh, paid a couple thousand dollars to be there for that week and hear these lectures. I got whisked in for free because I knew my professor, and nobody really minded, least of all me. Um, and it was kind of them to let me in, but it wasn't exactly fair. Life's not fair, and and sometimes it's not fair, and it hurts, but sometimes it's not fair, and we benefit greatly. And what we see in this perplexing parable of the laborers in the vineyard, we see that the gospel is not fair. But we benefit greatly. The gospel is not fair, but it is so, so good. Now, this, this parable might smell a little funny to us. I mean, the vineyard boss and the landowner, he, he pays everyone the same regardless of how much they worked. I mean, the 12-hour uh, workers, they've got there at 6 in the morning, or the one-hour workers who got there uh, at 5 in the afternoon. It doesn't seem fair to the ones who uh, worked all day. Now, I want to be really clear as we, as we get into this parable that this is not... A parable about how to run a business. Do not run your business this way. It was in the Bible. No, you will be out of business tomorrow, right? This is also not a, a parable about the fairness of God. In fact, if we're understanding the vineyard owner to be God, to represent God, then God comes off as patently unfair. And we might think that if anybody were going to be fair, it would be God. Listen, God is just. He's a God of justice. Thank God. Praise God. God is just, but thank God. Praise God that he is not fair. This is a parable about grace. Grace. This is a parable about the lavishly, generous grace of God for those who have not earned it. But it is also a parable about judgment. The judgment of God against people who judge God and who resent his generosity. Now, which one of those it is for us kind of depends on what we believe about ourselves. Now, remembering that to work the parable's vineyard is to work for the Lord. Are you more like the 6 a.m. laborer or more like the 5 p.m. laborer? One of my previous churches was a big, wealthy southern downtown church. It was filled with beautiful people just not unlike this church but it was just filled with, with beautiful people just I uh, mean, nice clothes perfect hair uh, just 2.6 beautiful children in every family just uh, it was we kind of called it a dry clean church uh, the women were fit and trim the men were just the right amount of overweight it was it was they were just a it was a perfect church really and, um, and I had a friend say to me uh, one time that um, he said, It's really hard to come here. And I said, What do you mean? And he said, Well, just knowing that like, my kids are, are really struggling, knowing that my wife and I fight and, and everyone else here is perfect. And I laughed at him. And then I realized he was serious. I laughed at him because I knew. Just from my vantage point as one of the pastors on the staff there, I knew whose kid was in rehab. And I knew whose marriage was on the rocks and who had not worked in months. And I knew enough to know that there were hundreds of other things I didn't know. But he, and he sincerely thought he was the only one who was struggling and hiding behind a good image. Uh, But the truth is that they all were. They all were. In the language of the parable, they were all projecting to everyone else that they were the 6 a.m. workers, right? They had it together, and they deserved to be there. But my friend kind of felt like he had to slip in the line with the early risers, right, and look like he belonged, but he knew he didn't, and he carried that with him into church every week. What he didn't know was that everybody else felt exactly the same way? So we live in a world that sends us competing, conflicting messages. Right, the world says, in some way, you're number one, and you're number one, and you're number one, and you're number. One. Now, how everybody gets to be number one, I don't know, but that's um, that's the message, right? You're beautiful, you're perfect, just like you are. You deserve the very best. And, I mean, gosh, that goes down easy. We love hearing such affirmation. And I think there is a good impulse behind such affirmation. You don't need to come to church to hear it. I mean, you can go, you can go listen to Oprah. You can turn to any uh, number of self-help gurus. You're number one. And yet, sort of in tandem with that, if we fail to live into that expectation, even if we just give them a crack in the door, the world is merciless when we don't live up to that praise. Right? I mean, just un- can be unbelievably harsh, unbelievably critical, judgmental, tearing us down. And so to, av- to avoid that judgment, we work incredibly hard, and it's exhaustingly hard to project that we are living up to the expectation. Whatever that expectation is, and we're all the while, we're hiding our shortcomings, our failures, and our insecurities. Hiding, perhaps, the fact that we haven't talked to our adult child in, in years. Or hiding the fact that I'm failing in my marriage, or hiding the fact that I'm in big trouble with the IRS, or hiding the fact that I'm self-medicating because of all of those things. And if we are, uh, like many, uh, one of the ones that is unleashing the criticism on others, that actually is just another way of hiding because we're just trying to get the attention on somebody else. You know some of us don't really care how much others know, but if, if whether we care uh, if others know it or not, the closer we look at our lives and the more honest we are about our shortcomings, the more we look like the workers who showed up late. And there could be all like all sorts of reasons for that. We might have clocked in early, but then we kind of clocked out when we went to college. Or we just wandered out of the vineyard altogether for a little while. Maybe we weren't raised anywhere near the vineyard, and we j- it just took a while to find it. Maybe we were headed to the vineyard, but we got distracted. We lost our We got hurt by some other of the vineyard workers. Maybe we got mad at the landowner because for one reason or or another, life's not fair. Maybe we were in the vineyard, but we spent a lot more time gossiping about the other vineyard workers than we did picking the grapes. Maybe for a while we weren't even sure the landowner existed. Maybe you're a little bit late. Maybe you're a lot a bit late. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins by telling us the truth about ourselves. But not with a critical spirit. With a sort of kind objectivity, the gospel tells us that on our own we're not Okay see what you're hiding i know you showed up late someone recently asked the episcopal campus minister at the university of florida how it was that they were packing their chapel with 80 plus students every sunday night what it, what were they doing was was the pizza just better or i mean what what how were they getting these kids there And the chaplain, who is a layman named Jackson, simply replied, we tell them what they already know about themselves, that they are not perfect. And we are the only ones who will tell them that, and it is such a relief. The gospel tells the truth about us. Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open all desires known and from you no secrets are hid right the gospel tells the truth about us but without criticizing rather than condemning rather than canceling rather than demanding change the gospel then offers us the healing word of relief that the full day's reward is offered to you not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, not even because of the mere kindness of the landowner, but the full day's reward is given to you because there was someone else who did the work for you. There's no need to hide. There's no need to pretend. There's no need to project. There's no need to feel guilty. No need to make excuses. There is only unqualified and joyful welcome with the reward of the full wage. Because another has done the work and credited it to your account, right? Who would be so foolishly generous? Who would be so willingly unfair as to bear the burden of the day's work and then give away his wage to another? It turns out it's the landowner's son. At the cost of his own life, pouring out not just his sweat under a hot sun, but his, pouring out his blood on the rugged cross, the son paid the price so that you get the reward as if you had been there all along. You get the son's reward. The son's full wage. And it's not fair. Fair would be not being welcomed after showing up late. Fair would uh, be getting no reward for having not done the work. That's fair. The gospel is not fair. The gospel is so, so good. The gospel is not fair. The gospel is grace. It's grace. Let me just give you a couple final observations. You might have heard the phrase, that comparison is the thief of joy, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. Where, When you look at the ones who are grumbling, where is their focus? It's not on the landowner, right? It's on the other workers. They're comparing not only what they got, but they're comparing uh, whether they deserve what they got. Again, it's not a parable about fair business practice, Right? the truth is in life i mean some people just have more than we do some people have less i don't know why that is I and mean, i can I understand the economics of it but i doesn't always seem to add up we don't know we don't know why other people have more Some people have less it can drive us crazy if we're obsessed with having as much or making sure it's fair And what does the landowner say to the ones who are grumbling and looking not at him and his generosity, but at at, at the others? He says, look, pal. I mean, the word friend there is actually the same word when Jesus, remember when Judas comes um, to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, friend, do what you're going to do. It's not like a friendly word friend. It's like saying, hey, look, pal, look, buddy. Take what's yours and get out of here, Jesus says. Horizontal comparison. Comparison here is the thief of joy. But vertical comparison? Comparing ourselves to the landowner, comparing ourselves to God Almighty Himself, that is the fountain of humility and peace. See yourself for who you really are. You can be before the landowner, you can be honest. I mean, all the good things, the hard work, the perfect hair, whatever it is, yes, of course. But also the, the shortcomings, the flaws, yes. And then see the gracious, generous landowner. See God in all his perfection in everywhere. be awed by his holiness and how he has poured out for us far more than we can ask or imagine and just... It gives us such contentment in him, such peace. It creates joy. When we look, when we compare ourselves to God, and we're humbled by that, we're all, and we receive from him what he has to offer, it creates joy and humility. That's the first observation. Horizontal comparison is the thief of joy. Vertical comparison is the fountain of humility and peace. Second observation, the invitation to do the work in the vineyard is itself grace. The invitation to do the work in the vineyard is itself grace. And grace changes us. Changes us. Such that we delight in the work that God has given us to do. We're so grateful that God would Catch us up and incorporate us into his own work. And we delight in what the Lord has given to others. Just so wonderful. We're not looking at ourselves and looking at others thinking we deserve more than they do. What if Billy Graham had said, you know, he's calling people to faith, coming down out of the, out of the, stadium stands and he says, you know, come down and get your reward. You can't, you're not going to get a mansion as big as mine. That's too late for that. But come get whatever shack you can get, right? But he would never say that. He's delights that they get the full reward. We want more and more and more people in the vineyard enjoying the service of the master. And so, friends, the gospel says there is grace for all of us who come up short. If, you're, if you don't come up short, then the gospel is not going to do you much good. But for you who come up short, for you who know your flaws and your shortcomings, the gospel, the gospel says you are welcome. And all that the son has earned is yours life's not fair and sometimes it hurts yet we have the refuge of our gracious generous heavenly father who is welcoming us because the son has paid the price grant us O lord not to mind earthly things but to love things heavenly And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to cleave to those things that shall abide. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.